Firstly, I think it's important to say poor mental health must not be confused with mental illness. These are not the same things. And according to a widely used definition from the World Health Organization, mental health is not necessarily the absence of mental illness uh, and mental disorders, things like uh, deep anxiety or bipolar disorder where you have these extreme mood swings or schizophrenia where you have hallucinations or multiple uh, personality disorder or anything like that, but it's our emotional, psychological and social well-being and it affects how we feel, how we think, how we act. And it also helps us handle stress, relate to others and make healthy choices. And just like um, Bonisa has been saying, during this COVID pandemic, uh, people's mental health has, has been greatly impacted. In fact, in the US, uh, in June last year, they, they did a survey and 40% of the people uh, said they were having mental health issues. But today, I don't want to talk directed at the pandemic. This is not a pandemic thing. Uh, the response of the church is not necessarily just about uh, building resilience in the face of the pandemic. Uh, but it's, it's for us to be able to, to address this issue as we go forward beyond the pandemic. We, we hope the pandemic will come to an end someday, but addressing mental health will remain relevant even beyond that. And uh, this is for several reasons. Number one, mental health issues are more common than we tend to think or acknowledge, right? Outside of the pandemic, one in two Americans will be diagnosed with mental health issues at some point in their lifetime. And, you know, I don't know whether Donald Trump changed it, but many people across the world wish they were living the American life. And sorry, I'm not picking on the Americans. It's just, you know, you guys got the stats. One in five Americans will experience mental health issue in any given year. In fact, in, in 2010, there were over 200 million uh, what you call not subscriptions when you get the from the doctor prescriptions thank you for depression uh, medication over 200 million almost one for every American one in five children either currently or at some point during their life have had a seriously debilitating mental illness so this mental health is not an issue of the pandemic don't ignore the issue. It's not someone else's issue. The second reason why it's relevant is that you or your loved ones are more susceptible to mental health issues than you think. P.S. No one schedules a mental health crisis. No one kind of plans and says, you know, when I turn 40, I'm going to have a midlife crisis. That's how it's going to work. But there's so many causes that cause mental health issues to blindside us. For example, undealt with experiences of trauma, abuse, sexual assault, experiencing and witnessing violence. You wouldn't guess it, but more, there's more than one person in this room who's experienced a hijacking in their life. You wouldn't guess it. If, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I'll bet there you know, a couple of people who've actually experienced sexual abuse. And sometimes we're quiet about it. This... Me Too movement, it's, it's so surprising the voices that you hear coming out, like recently, this Greek Olympic champion saying ah, she was abused by someone in, who is within the power structures, right? It's, it's, it's so silent and blindsides us. We also have 
mental health issues from living under prolonged stress, like work. You know, I was, you interview people or you go for an interview and one of the things people say is, I work well under pressure. That's, that's not me. I, I don't want to work under pressure. But we have life shocks, taking care of someone who's chronically ill or you can become chronically ill yourself. Economic shocks, not having a job, losing money, undergoing a divorce, or losing a close family member or friend. And then we've got biological factors, right? Could be just something in the genes. It's hormonal, chemical. Then we've got social factors, feeling lonely, not having friends, not feeling like you're connecting at a deep level with people. This can happen if you move country, move city. And Jesus gave a story of two builders. And he said that when they built, it didn't matter whether you built on the rock or on the sand, but the storms would come to each. And Paul in Ephesians 6, he talks about putting on the armor of God for when we face the evil day. Friends, it's not a question of if the storms of life will come or if the evil day will come. It's just a question of when. Being a follower of Christ does not insulate us from the storms of life and the evil day. What God promises is to be with us when we go through the fire, when we go through the water, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, not to kind of give us a detour outside. And this is really personal for me. In the back end of 2019, into last year, I went through a, a mental health crisis. I was seriously burnt out. I got depressed. You know, my wife later said she, she didn't know whether our marriage was going to survive. And, you know, this is my journal. Like, the kids have kind of, <laughs> they don't care, <laughs> decorated it. And this is from the 30th, last year, 30th of January. And this is what I wrote. Lord, I feel like my heart has been ripped apart and I have nothing left to give. I've been asking myself, why me? And I pray that you're doing a special work in my life. I don't know where to start in the journey of recovery. I don't even know whether I've begun the journey. My prayer is that I'd see you and hear your voice. Lord, hear me. Lord, save me. I'm carrying a lot of guilt. I feel it's my fault I'm sick. It's my fault I'm burnt out. I feel like I've failed my family even before we've really started life. Lord Jesus, would you remove this burden of guilt? Be my savior. I've held you responsible, blaming you for leaving me in my hour of need, the darkest time of my life. Teach me faith, oh Lord. That's heavy, right? And this is one of the books that I've been reading through this. And a lady, he quotes a lady in an article, Why Am I So Depressed? called Brenda Poinsett. She talks about the interrogation she experienced when she mentioned her own depression. Were you a believer at the time? Were you walking with the Lord? Were you reading the Bible and praying? She says, when I answer yes to these questions, I can almost hear another question forming in the silence that follows. How could a faithful, growing believer get depressed? She continues, the question reveals a common, unspoken, and inaccurate assumption. Christians are not supposed to struggle with depression. And in this book, he then gives examples of Mother Teresa, a guy called William Cooper, who wrote the words, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. 
talks about Charles Spurgeon, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Henry Nguyen, as saints who in the past all struggled with mental health. Friends, you and I are more susceptible to mental health issues than we think. The third reason why we need to address it is that God will sometimes, if not often, call us into situations that test our mental health. You know, my wife and I, when we were out in the bush, would be laughing, would, would have this joke. Like, go to the nations, they said. <laughs> when, when you're out there, you're alone. You know, you're talking to 5, 10, 15 people faced with all sorts of different things. But God will sometimes, if not often, call us into situations that test our mental health. Just look at the prophets. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, when, when he sees this vision of the Lord, and then the Lord sends him out. But he tells him, look, you're going to talk to the people, but they're not going to listen. Wow, failure, recipe for mental health issues. In chapter 8, he says, here I am and the children that God has given me. We are, we are a sign and a wonder in this nation. It's quite a, a somber chapter. He's, he's all alone. No one else is listening to his message. And it's like, this is, this is who we are. In chapter 20, God tells him to go naked for three years. Three years going naked. And Isaiah was quite a respectable, a respectable guy. Look at Jeremiah. I don't know if in your devotions or if you read the Bible, do you just jump over the book of Jeremiah? It can be quite a depressing book. Seems the guy lived a depressed life, always pronouncing judgment. He was lonely. God told him not to get married. He couldn't get married. He was thrown into solitary confinement several times, right? The worst thing we have for the worst criminal. Jeremiah experienced it so many times. And he wrote a book called Lamentations. That's what Yvonne read from. Just about grief. Ezekiel. After seeing the Lord, he experienced bitterness in his soul. He sat down for seven days, never spoke to a person. Ezekiel, when you read his book, he's like an extreme weirdo. Like God tells him, you're not going to be able to say anything else except what I tell you to say. And that's like for a period of time. Then even one time God tells him to cook on human fecal matter. And he's like, no, I can't. I've, I've never done that. And God's like, okay, you can cook on <laughs> cow manure. And then he got news. God told him that his wife was going to die. But he was not going to mourn his wife publicly. T tells him in the morning. He goes and he delivers that to the people. In the evening, his wife passes away. Ezekiel would see visions right, of people in Jerusalem. And while he was seeing the vision, people would die within the vision. It's like, God, are you going to finish the people of Israel? And I don't have time to talk about Hosea, told to marry an immoral woman. I want to talk about Jonah, who said, kill me now. You know, as a, as an, as a believer or as a church, it's, it's easy for us to develop a bomb shelter mentality where we think, well, in Christianity, that's where we go and we hide. You know, we're going to be in church. We'll be, we'll be hiding from all of life's problems. Yet the Lord wants us to have a salt mentality where we're in the world, in the decay, in the suffering, but bringing hope. Even when we don't have all the answers. 
Friends, if we are going to pick up what we said we'll do this year, his story, our story, your story, taking it to the unreached people groups, then we need mental and emotional health. Fourthly, God cares deeply about people's mental health, right? I need to say that after saying he'll sometimes lead us in situations where mental health is tested. God cares deeply for that. On the road, on my own personal journey, I found great encouragement in the book of Hebrews. Because, you know, it's got verses that say things like Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2 verse 10. Hebrews 2.14, it says that he shared in our human frailness. Hebrews uh, 2.17-18 says that he suffered through temptation. Jesus suffered through temptation. 4.15 says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's not kind of sitting at the right hand of God and thinking, "What's, what's going on with you? He sympathizes with our weakness. And 5, 7 to 8 says he cried with loud cries, with tears, learning obedience through suffering. Now, if you've faced mental health issues, I'm talking about anxiety, panic attacks, you know, where it feels like your heart is being squeezed in. Depression, where you feel like you've got no hope, it's been squeezed out of your life. Prolonged fear, grief, sorrow, and even mental illness, then you know it's a really personal form of suffering. It's something that's really difficult to share with anyone else. Yet here we have the great mystery that astounded early Christians for the first few centuries. How could God become a man? Not only did God become a man, but he became a man who experienced suffering to the uttermost. When Isaiah looked forward to Jesus, he said he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Not only that, but he he carried, it was our grief and our sorrow that he carried. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Friends, it's easy for us to be like the disciples who were with Jesus in the boat, to say, don't you care, we're drowning. Don't you care? I'm, I'm drowning in, in fear. Don't you care? My, my, my business is drowning. My, my, my life seems to be ebbing away right in front of my eyes. Don't you care? I'm so anxious. Don't you care? I've got all this grief and for so long. Don't you care what happened to, to my child or, or, or my dad? God's answer is not a doctrine or a theology but himself, that he personally experienced suffering and he is present with us and he empathizes. He cares for our mental health and gives us help in our time of need. This is core to our good news to the world. So this is just the intro. And just to recap, I've said it's relevant beyond the pandemic because mental health issues are more common than we think or acknowledge. We're more susceptible than we think. God will sometimes, if not often, call us into testing situations. Yet he cares more deeply for more mental health than we'll ever know. So now the big question is, how do we cultivate mental health? And I want to turn to the story of Elijah 
you know, I didn't discuss it with Bonisi, but he's already kind of touched on 1 Kings 18, and we'll be looking at 1 Kings 19. And, you know, the other title of my message is A Man Like Us. When James talked about Elijah encouraging us to faith, he says, Elijah was a man like us. And I want us to look at this man who was like us. And we'll read from 1 Kings. I'll just read the first kind of eight verses. It's, it's a really great story, so I'd encourage you just, if you've got time afterwards, just read even from chapter 17 of 1 Kings just to see the whole story of Elijah. Mo had spoken about how they had this showdown at high noon with the prophets of Baal, right? And Elijah calls down fire from heaven and God answers him. And then after that, there's been a drought for three years, three and a half years. And Elijah prays for it to rain and the rain comes. And just as the rain is coming, God gives Elijah supernatural strength and speed and he runs ahead of horses and chariots into this town called Jezreel. And Ahab, who was the very wicked king at that time, goes and tells his wife, Jezebel, you know, what Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a very short, terse, to-the-point message. It could have been a text message or WhatsApp. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So Elijah had killed all these prophets after that. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his, ser his servant there. So he goes tens of kilometers on foot to another town. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, from this story, there's a lot that we could pick out, but I just want to pick out three kind of practical lessons that we can apply. And the first is, realize you're just human. I mean, Elijah's called down fire from heaven you know, before that, he raised, provided food for a widow. He raised the widow's son from death. He's killed all these prophets. He's got supernatural strength to run. This guy has, has experienced the presence of God and the miracles of God in a mighty way. But when he gets a threat from Jezebel, all this discouragement floods in to his heart, this fear, it's, palpable fear and he's despaired even to death it's like whether we can say he's suicidal he's just given up on life God kill me now Elijah was human not Superman is there anyone from Krypton here anyone anyone who's been bitten by a radioactive spider 
in the room? Anyone who, like in your spare time, you know, you do the stunts for the Avengers movies? Realize you're just human. I know we wonder how can someone who's a believer, a Christian, experience mental health issues when the Bible talks about joy, like rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's really difficult for us to reconcile that with I'm going through. I know someone who's going through mental health issues. Becoming a Christian doesn't free you from your humanity. Paul says we are jars of clay, full of treasure. Realize and acknowledge that you're human. Because you're human, you need to practice what Calvin spoke about last, last week. You need to have the right kind of diet, exercise, sleep. We need friendship. We need encouragement. We need rest. We need relaxation. Not only do you need to realize that you're human, but you need to realize that God knows you're human. In our story, when the angel comes to Elijah, he gives him bread and water. It's like, hey, buddy, I can see you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're really tired. Have something to eat. Have something to drink. Get some sleep. I know this journey is too great for you. And in that, it's, it's a wonderful picture where God is saying, Elijah, I know your limits. I, I, I know your limits spiritually. I, I know your limits emotionally. I know your limits mentally. I know your limits physically. And it's the gospel that sets us free to accept our humanity. Because the gospel tells us that we are worse than we've ever feared, but we're more loved than we've ever hoped for. And so when we encounter weakness in ourselves, we're not saying, oh my gosh, how can I be this weak? But we're like Paul who says, I, I boast in my weakness. For when I am weak, then God's strength is made perfect in me. Except that sometimes when your energy is low, you might get anxious. You, you might get a bit depressed. You don't have it all figured out. You're just a man. And I don't know whether this is true, but they say that the Roman generals, when they were coming from a, a, a triumphant war, they used to have a slave who whispered in their ear, you are mortal. Say of Marcus Aurelius, he had a slave following him, I don't know if it's true, who would whisper in his ear, you are just a man. And I know sometimes as believers, we can take that to make excuses for bad habits, but this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about accepting our limitations as humans. Remember, you are just a man. You know, Terry Virgo, who began the movement of churches that we're part of, he wrote a book called God Knows You're Human. And we live in a world where you need to put on your CV, I can work well under pressure. I, I can perform. You know, when you interview someone, they tell you, man, I'm the one with the results. Hire me in this company and you'll see what I can do. We live in a performance and results-based world, but we need to accept we're just human. 
realize you're just a man. And we'll just read on. I'll read from verse 13b. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah woke up and he went 300 Ks at least on what he had eaten, 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't have another meal. And he arrived to the mount they call the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. What are you doing here, Elijah? God said to him, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And just... As I kind of come to a conclusion, I just want to make two more practical applications. And Elijah here is talking to God, and God speaks to him from the whisper. There's been a, a fire, an earthquake, great shaking, wind, but God speaks from the whisper. And the second point is that be real, right? Be real. Be real to yourself. Be real to God. Be real to others, God's people. When God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? He's not looking for information. He's not kind of saying, you know, I, you know I'm genuinely stumped. Elijah, what are you doing here? But God is looking for Elijah to express himself. And Elijah does so well that he expresses what's on his heart. And the code is, you know what, God, I, I, I feel like I've been doing all this hard work and you're not even doing anything to support me, right? I feel so alone, like I'm the only one left. Elijah knew he wasn't the only one left. He says, um, I feel like I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. God, wh wh where is this thing going? The, the project Israel has failed. Paul quoting from, or talking about this passage, he said, when Elijah spoke against Israel, Elijah is basically saying, look, Israel is, is, is beyond redemption. They, they've totally turned away from you. There is, there is no more hope. Abandon all posts. <laughs> Every man for himself. And Elijah was being real. First, he was real to himself. And because of the stigma that's associated with mental health, it's very difficult for us to accept what we're feeling. To say, I'm, I'm feeling really discouraged. I feel really disappointed. You know what? I'm, I've got so much grief. I, I, I can't work through it. I, I can't figure out why God allowed this to happen. Right now, I, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. I'm, I'm so anxious about my future. You know, the, the, the end of the month is approaching and, and I've got no business, I've got no money, I've got no job. I've been applying for a year and nothing seems to be coming up. I, I don't know if our marriage will make it. 
We've hardly said a kind word to each other with my wife for the last few years. This divorce has, it feels like my heart has been ripped apart. My life has fallen apart. I, I don't know how I can continue. I look at my kids and, and I pity them because I can't be the parent that they need me to be. We need to be real with ourselves and with God and with his people. When you have negative emotions, negative feelings, negative thoughts, we need to arrest and interrogate them. Like David says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Doesn't say, you know, stiff British upper lip. Right, oh, let's, let's move on. Real men don't cry. That's not Bible. That's stoicism. Paul says, I've got this thorn in my flesh. Three times he prays to God. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to give you Elisha. Elijah, you've been walking alone, but it's, it's time you had somebody else. The beauty of the church is that you don't have to walk alone, right? That's the Liverpool song. Any Liverpool supporters here? Playing Man City today, you guys are going to get demolished. But anyway, you will never walk alone. That's the song of Liverpool. But the reality is in the church, you don't have to walk alone. This is why we've got life groups where we can do life together. This is why later in the year, we're planning what we call I groups, where you meet where people of the same sex, you share your life story, and people pray for you. Be real to yourself. How I do that is sometimes I, I can't pray. I just write it in my journal. If you can, you don't have to write a lot, just a few words. This is how I feel. And it's not just for negative feelings, negative thoughts. Even when you're giving thanks, when you're celebrating, you can write it down. And finally, see God in your story. I don't know if anyone here has experienced what Elijah experienced in his relationship with God. But Elijah comes to this point where all he can see is Jezebel trying to kill him, the Israelites not responding. It's just discouragement. And seeing God in your story is making it a habit and a practice to look back on your life and to recount the goodness of God, what God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be dramatic. The fact that he, he, he called you out from, from the nations. Man, I marvel that Zimbabwe, when you go on the list of nations, it's the last alphabetically. But even though we're last alphabetically, God has sent his gospel there. I'm a, I'm a Shona. I come from a Shona tribe. I'm not a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm, I'm just a Shona. I'm, a, I'm an African. They call this the dark continent. But even in the dark continent, the light of the gospel shone through into my life. I mean, when I, when I look back at the goodness of God, and even, you know, the, the first half of last year, it was like I spent it just recalling all the bad stuff. And the next half, it was like I was just recalling all the good things that God had done. And man, it lifted up my soul. But not only do we see God's goodness in the past, and sometimes it's not all about us. 
We see God's goodness in other people's stories. We hear what God is doing in other parts of the world. Like recently, I was, I was listening to a guy and he was talking about a woman who was serving tea where they, where they were having a meeting. And God had spoken to her. She was a Muslim. God, and she, she was epileptic. God spoke to her in a dream. Jesus appeared to her and said, I'm going to heal you from your epilepsy. And so she woke up. She was healed. She went to the doctor said, there's no epilepsy. And then she searched on the internet. Anyone know about, you know, the prophet? I'm not sure, Isa or how it's called in Arabic. And that's how then she found this church. And, and there's so many stories like that. In Myanmar, this one guy, Jesus appears to him three nights in a row. He was a, Buddh uh, he was a Buddhist. And now he's a pastor of a church. Three nights in a row, Jesus talking to him. And so it's not just about what is God doing in my life. He's doing things all across the world. And they can lift up our spirits. But not just in our past, but even in our present. You know, God tells Elijah, I've reserved 7,000 people. And it's not a, that it's 7,000, the exact number. But what he's saying that I've got the complete number. Elijah, I'm doing what I need to do what, to fulfill my purposes and my plans even in this generation. You might look at Kenya and say, man, where is the nation heading? What's happening with our politics? Right? But we need to hear God saying, I'm doing what I need to be doing in Kenya right now to work out my purposes. We look at, you look at your family, you look at your life and say, where is this heading? But you need to hear God saying, I'm doing what I need to do right now in your life, in your family, in your continent to work out my purposes and my plans. I've received 7,000. When the time is right, God will make it plain. Not only do we see God in the past and in the present, but also in the future. You know, God listens to Elijah. He doesn't offer him any kind of <laughs> consolation. But he says, Elijah, now I want you to go and anoint Hazael. Now I want you to go anoint Jehu. I want you to go and call Elisha. You know, a year ago, I thought, I'm, I'm never going to stand up and preach again. I've got nothing. I've, I've got nothing to share. I'm finished. I felt like if I was like a, a circuit or something, it was burnt. The part of my emotions was burnt. It just needed to be ripped out, thrown away. But Elijah, God says to Elijah, Elijah, you might have felt like you wanted to die, like this needs to end right now, but I'm telling you, there's something for you to do. I'm looking ahead and I've still got a purpose for your life and I want you to go and fulfill it. And you might be here and you've gone through mental health issues. Firstly, be free from stigma. Be free from shame. Realize you're just human. But secondly, I want you to take this. Don't discount yourself from God's purposes and God using you. Don't think, man, I'm finished. If you guys knew how I struggle from depression, how I've got bipolar episodes, how I've, I've heard voices in my head, man, you wouldn't be calling me to serve. God knows you're human. God's still got a purpose for you. And today, I just want to encourage you, just like Elijah did, pick up, get on the mission. You'll be amongst God's people. 
We'll be real to one another, but we'll keep moving towards the price. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even as you spoke then and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So today, you're still bringing good news. You're still binding up broken hearts. You're still setting captives free. You're still declaring freedom for prisoners. And right now, I want to take authority in your name. Lord, where there's the work of the enemy to bring about mental health issues, I take authority and I want to break that in Jesus' name. I want to declare freedom for those who are captive, whether it's captive to fear and anxiety or depression or any other ill. I just want to declare your favor right now. Would you receive the favor of the Lord? And Lord, I want to remove shame. The first people were said to be naked and unashamed, completely vulnerable. And Father, thank you for your gospel that causes us to be naked and unashamed once again, because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What shall separate us from your love? Anxiety, fear, depression, no. And so, Lord, I pray right now for a sense of your acceptance where there's been a feeling of shame for those who have felt guilty. Lord, I, I pray they would know that they're justified freely in Christ, that they have peace with you because of what Jesus has done. Lord, I, I pray for a freedom to be real, a freedom to be real with themselves, a freedom to be real with you, a freedom to be real with other people because of the gospel, nothing but the gospel. And Lord, right now I pray for a commissioning for those who might have discounted themselves and said, I, I, you know what, I've, I've got this weakness. You, you don't know who I am. You don't know what, what I'm going through or what I've done. Thank you, Lord, that you say your strength is made perfect in weakness. And so right now I pray for an affirmation of your grace upon people's lives. You're not discounted. You're not disqualified. His grace is made perfect in weakness. Pray for a fresh sense of your presence, your joy, your peace, and your power. Amen.